Morning, everyone. Go ahead and turn to uh, 1 Kings chapter 11. We'll be there in, here in just a minute. And I uh, hope everybody's having a great holiday season, and it's great to be able to come together on the Lord's Day and be able to uh, remember the reason for the season. Uh, there's, uh, as, as we know, we've talked about, there's, we don't have any idea when Jesus was born during the year. Um, we do, we do know when he was executed and raised. That happened over Passover, and we know when that happens, and we'll, we'll get to that later in the spring. But it is a, a great time maybe just to think and remember, okay, there's God breaking into human history with being himself God, Jesus himself God being born just like us, and living among us so that we could have this relationship with God restored is good news and it's great stuff to think about. Amen? Man, that's fantastic. I'm sure glad that God uh, chose the, the plan that he did. As I was, someone was mentioning the other day, there was a question in a kid's Bible class. Uh, someone said, why did Jesus, why did God have to be born? And, uh, and one of the other kids in the class said, well, he couldn't very well have just appeared as an adult. I thought, well, maybe there's something to that. Um, some of the wisdom of children is phenomenal and amazing, and there's great things to learn from them, too. And so I appreciate the songs that Landon led us through here in just a minute. And so if you're looking at the title of this lesson, you think, Downfall, Division, and Disillusionment. Oh, great. Thanks a lot, Chris. What on earth are we going to talk about today? And we're going to, I'll I'll give you, I'll explain here. As we've been as a church going through a program called God's Love Story, where we start in Genesis, finish in Revelation, and we talk about how God has continued to reach out to his people to restore us and to mend the relationship that's been broken because of sin. And so as we have the opportunity for uh, to read together these scriptures as a church, if you don't have a copy, there's some copies in the back, and you can read along so you know what's coming and you know what's going to be shared um, on Sunday and during the kids' classes and adult classes. But this, uh, what we're going to be doing this, this time, or today, I'm going to talk about some of uh, what we're doing with God's love story and bring it to, to the Jesus, and we'll get there. But it's, it's so important, as so much of the Old Testament, as Scripture says, these things were written so that you may believe. There's a lot of things that we learn from the Old Testament, uh, even though we have, since Jesus has come, all the sacrifices and all of those things that we don't need to participate anymore, there's still phenomenal, amazing things that point to Jesus continually and point to God's love for us. And so last week, or the last weeks, we talked about King David, who is a, a, who is a king that, as a character, it said he had a heart for God, or he was, had a, he was a man after God's own heart. And we see that from the life of David. Was he perfect in that he never sinned ever? No, but he did have a heart for God that he was quick to repent when that sin did come. And so he has a son named Solomon who becomes the king of Israel as well. And Solomon starts off, and this is what we talked about last week, in an amazing way. God appears to him and says, Solomon, one wish. What do you want? I'll give whatever you want. And Solomon could have asked for riches. He could have asked for honor. He could have asked for the death of his enemies, any number of things. And what Solomon asks for, you remember, what does he ask for? One word? Wisdom. Solomon asked for wisdom. God, give me wisdom to understand right and wrong because I don't know how to lead this great people that you have established. 
So Solomon asks for wisdom, and God gives it to him. And he writes some amazing things in the Proverbs that we still have today, and people come from all over the world to listen to the great wisdom of Solomon. And he is uh, he's not only that, but God says, I'm, because you ask for wisdom, something I'm really excited about, I'm going to give you something even greater. I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you whatever you can dream of because of what you ask for, because of your heart. Now, we would love to say that the story ends that way as Solomon just launches and finishes well and his wisdom gets greater and just amazing spiritual fruit comes. But something goes off track along the way somewhere. And when we look at, uh, when we look at, um, hang on, just say, oh, I don't have that on. That's, hang on, there we go. When we look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, what we see is even hundreds of years before Solomon walked the earth, God had said, when you appoint a king, this is what you want the king to look like. You don't want a king to have a bunch of wives. You don't want a king to have all this great wealth or too many horses. You don't want them to, um, because that's, that's going to go bad, okay? But what the king is supposed to do is supposed to write down the law of God and keep it with him all the time and listen to it and read it all the days of his life so that he would know the heart of God and so that in the... Deuteronomy 17 says, he will not consider himself better than everybody else. That's what's supposed to happen. So ideally, when a king became king of Israel, he was to look out and say, all right, I'm going to write down this law of God, and I'm going to keep it with me, I'm going to listen, and my job isn't to be better than everybody else or more important or have everybody serve me, but my role is to be a servant for the people and to lead them honorably and faithfully. That's what's supposed to happen. But what we see happening, and look at 1 Kings chapter 11. I'm going to read a little bit here, starting in verse 1. It says, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughters, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. And it says, as Solomon grew old, what happened is he started worshiping all these other idols that God had said, don't have anything to do with those idols, they're terrible, don't do it. Solomon starts worshiping them. And I remember when I read through this, when I was old enough to understand some of what's going on here, is you have Solomon who has built this great temple for God, supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, for people to come and learn about God. You have priests that are faithfully serving there during this time. But if you walk out and you look across the valley, what you would see over on the other side is smoke coming up from the sacrifices of Molech and Chemosh and these other gods that, that Solomon had allowed these temples to be built for over there. These gods were, to, to be clear, involved human sacrifice. The holy people, instead of being priests, like, uh, like God shared, people that were moral, people that showed by, by example, the priests oftentimes were prostitutes. Full disclosure, that's what's going on right over there. And those temples are over there for years before they're torn down by a king much, much later. But Solomon, in all of his wisdom, something went wrong, and this is what I believe must have happened, we talked about it in the adult class today and we discussed it a bit, is that we can become, to get to a point where we go through life, we become less and less self-reflective and instead of allowing people to speak truth into our lives, we become hard-hearted, we believe that we know better than everybody else and we start making decisions that ultimately 
provide destruction for ourselves and the people around us. And that must have what happened, been what happened to Solomon. Because God would have sent prophets like he did many, many times with others to say, Solomon, what on earth? You have 200 wives. Isn't that enough? Or you have six. Isn't that enough? Come on, Solomon. Don't get any more. Don't, no, because they're going to take your heart and worship these other gods. Don't do it, Solomon. And Solomon must have responded something like this. Hmm. Well, that's good for somebody else, but not for me because I'm just smarter than everybody else. And ultimately what happens is Solomon's heart ends up far, far away from God. And he doesn't finish well, and he leaves Israel in a place that is darker than he found it because these idols are starting to make inroads into the people's hearts again. Pretty sad ending, and it's a good message for us to remember that we can, as, um, we can be faithful for a time but become closed off and develop a hard heart and not finish well. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 9. I discipline myself so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Because he knows, he knows the history of Israel is that we can be faithful for a while and then become arrogant and prideful, say, the rules don't apply to me, I'm going to do whatever I want. And and it just goes a, a real bad path after that. So after Solomon's uh, downfall, uh, there's, this is on the, the sheet that's handed out to you, and I made a, a larger uh, copy of this as well because it's so small. And we're just going to, I'm going to tell you what happens. We're going to cover quite a bit of time here in the next bit. Is Solomon's son makes some very, very bad decisions, and Rehoboam, and instead of listening to people that were wise than himself, he listens to his peers, and as a result, the nation of Israel is divided. There's ten tribes leave the, the line of David, and they uh, go and, and make their own nation under a king named Jeroboam. And on the other side, you have something very different. You have people that are descendants of David that continue to rule in uh, the nation of what becomes known as Judah, around Jerusalem. And the temple is there. And if you look on the what would be on the right side up here, the those are kings. Some of them are faithful, some of them are not, and it goes back and forth. But on the other side, on the red side over there on the left, those kings are Ophir. There is not one that decides to walk faithfully with God. Uh, It's just a disaster, one disaster after the other. And one of them, and one of the worst ones, is named Ahab. And Ahab is uh, quite a mess himself, and he decides that he's going to marry someone from Sidon named Jezebel, and she is terrible and takes him into even more and more idolatry than uh, the Israelites had been involved with up to that point in time. And it's during this time period where Ahab is king that a guy named Elijah comes along. Now, how many of you, when you read the story of Elijah, you really get a kick out of him? I mean, Elijah's pretty amazing. Yeah, he, is, he walks, we could say it this way, Elijah walks to a different drum, doesn't he? He is very different than the people around him. And so Elijah, what happens is God tells him, we're going to have a showdown. This is what's going to happen. Get up on Mount Carmel, call the prophets of Baal that... Um, uh, that Ahab is hired, and you get him up there, and we, we're going to have a shakedown, and we're going to decide who is God. And so they get up there. There's Elijah all by himself, and then there's the prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. So the odds are not good, right, just looking from face value. And I imagine what must have been going through Elijah's mind and heart right there is, oh, man, I hope things go as they are supposed to today. Man, this is scary. I'm the only one. I feel like I am all alone. And Elijah went before the people. 
Because, of course, everybody wants to see this showdown. And so there's people all over the place. And he said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people stood there and said nothing. They want to watch the show. They want to see what's going to happen here. I'm not, I'm not going to decide until you know, we, we see who, is, who the real God is here. And what happens is uh, the, the, the game plan is Elijah says, all right, everybody, we've got two bulls here. You guys make a sac- an altar over there. I'll make an altar over here. And, but we can't light it. Whoever is God is going to light it himself. So the prophets of Baal get over there, and they cut this bull up, and they put it over this altar. And they start crying out to their God for, God, for Baal to light this sacrifice that is there. And Elijah is standing over on the side, and he's watching. And it goes on for a while, and they're screaming, and they're crying, and doing their worship to Baal in order for this great fire to come down and consume the sacrifice. And you remember what happens is at one point Elijah says, Well, maybe he can't hear you. Maybe you need to shout louder. Maybe he's traveling. Or maybe uh, he's deep in thought. Or maybe he's taking a nap. Come on. Surely he's God. And what happens beyond that is the prophets of Baal start, they take spears and swords and they start slashing themselves. And it says, so their blood flowed. That's part of this idolatry that they were involved with. They would destroy their bodies in order to try to get the gods to pay attention. And eventually, prophets of Baal say, all right. Your turn, Elijah. Elijah repairs an old altar that had been there, takes the stones, 12 stones, to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. They put the bowl on top. But not only that, but Elijah says, you guys go get some pitchers of water. They pour water all over the top of this so the trough around it is just filled with water. And Elijah says this. He stepped forward and he prayed, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Do you see what Elijah tells the people there through his prayer? Usually it's not a good idea to preach when you pray, but this is an exception. Elijah's doing this here. Help the people know that you're just turning their hearts back. That's what you're aiming for here. Show them in a powerful way. And what happens is fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. The wood, the stones, the soil also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. So they fell on their faces and cried, The Lord, He is God! The Lord, He is God! Yeah, no kidding, right? You see something like that. It's pretty, uh, leaves quite an impression. And so these people all of a sudden decide that, that God is God. They execute the prophets of Baal right there. And... Boy, what an amazing uh, time that God used to say, look, I'm here, I'm here, I'm calling you back. I'm calling your hearts back. It doesn't last long. But at this point, people have no choice but to say, the God that led us out of Egypt all those years ago is still God, and he's still real, and he's still powerful. And what happens after this is the um, wife of um, Ahab, the king, hears about it, and this is what she says. She sends a messenger to Elijah and said, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them, meaning the executed prophets of Baal. And so Elijah at this point in time, even after being 1 verses 950 up there, 
he's afraid and he runs. And he says he, he runs into the wilderness there and he is so discouraged he just goes to sleep under a, a broom tree. And the Lord wakes him up and says, Elijah, why, what are you doing? Why are you here? He said, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm so sick and tired of this because you have demonstrated yourself to the people. You've called them higher, and they look around and say, yeah, whatever. And so what happens is Elijah is given some food, and he makes his way over a journey of 40 days, and he wanders down to a place that I imagine he needed to go for some self-reflection. He goes down to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. And this is the place where Moses had seen the burning bush. It's where the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, had gone and they had uh, the Ten Commandments had been given to them and they had experienced the power of God there. And Elijah, for whatever reason, he needed to go back there. And he goes back there and says he, he spends a night in, the, in a cave there. And, and he wakes up, there's, there's a great fire, and then there's a great earthquake, and then there's a great wind. I mean, just all this... You know, and then after it, there's a gentle whisper. And it says that God wasn't in any of these big, amazing, loud events, but God was in the gentle whisper. So Elijah covers his face and he comes out of the cave and it says the word of the Lord came to him. And this is the second time. It says, What are you doing here, Elijah? What's going on, man? And Elijah says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your servant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. God, I'm all alone. The world's a mess. I am disillusioned with what's going on around me. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it, God. It's evil. It's wrong. And it seems like there's nobody cares out there, right? And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. This has always made an impression on me. Is God doesn't explain a whole lot of things. He just says, Elijah, go back the way you came. Get back in the saddle and go. And then he gives some instructions about there's help on the way. Elisha, I'm going to appoint to walk with you in this journey. But God says, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. In other words, Elijah, you may feel like it was just you against all these prophets of Baal. You may feel like you're the only one. But guess what? I know there are 7,000 people in Israel. That's not a majority. It's a minority. It's a remnant. But there's 7,000 other people that have refused to bow their knee to Baal. They're not doing that. So, Elijah, it's not as bad as you think it is right now, is essentially what God says to him. And he sends him back. He says, go back the way you came. Elijah goes back, and he finishes out his ministry. And Elijah finishes out his ministry better than anybody else I could imagine. You remember what happens to Elijah right at the end? He doesn't die, but he is carried up to heaven in a fiery chariot. That is a cool story. Read that. He's one of the very few people in Scripture that does not die um, to be resurrected. He gets to skip all that, and he is just launched into eternity as God sends his chariot down to pick him up. Amazing story there. And God showed something to Elijah, showed something to Elisha that was there, and the story that we have that remains is, man, God is there, 
And maybe if we look around, it's not as bad as we think it might be. And so when we feel those times of, as we say, discord, disillusionment, and division, look around. It may not be as bad as we think. And we'll talk about that here in just a second. But this isn't the last that we hear about Elijah or someone like him. A few hundred years later, we see that Malachi, in the last words that, that uh, are in our Old Testament, this is the prophecy that is given. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. You see this prophecy here is that just like Elijah prays, God, turn people's hearts. Malachi says there's going to be someone that comes in the spirit of Elijah that is going to turn hearts. Be ready for it and look for it. And several hundred years later again, there comes someone named John the Baptist who goes out into the desert who is preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People come out to be baptized by him. And not only religious people, but Roman soldiers, but common people come out and they listen to what he has to say. He is one that walks to a different drum, just like Elijah, right? And when Jesus comes, he says, this is what Malachi was talking about. One who is going to prepare the way for the Lord, one who comes in the spirit of Elijah, that's John the Baptist. That's who he was. And we learn something powerful here, is that when we're surrounded by downfall, division, disillusionment, we look around and we think, am I all alone here? Is, you know, is, whoa, is anybody paying attention? Does anybody care about God? You know, when we're in that spot, look for God's renewal to happen. Because consistently when... Um, God has ways to reach out and try to renew his people. Now look at this scripture here. This is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 16, in the spirit of the season. And Matthew quotes Isaiah 9, says, The people living in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the shadow of death a light has dawned. Now when we think about the term light, um, we like to talk about light, but light really shines when there's a background of darkness. And so, in the time that Jesus is born, the Roman Empire has covered the face of that part of the world. Slaves could be bought for a day's wages. And you fell into one of two classes, basically. There was a very, very small middle class in the Roman world. But either you were the wealthy class that owned quite a few slaves, or you were a slave yourself. And that was, you fell in one of those two categories. And the Romans were brutal. There was people that were executed on a regular basis without fair trial, if you were not a Roman citizen. Just a, a dark, dark time and a dark place to be born into. And in the middle of all this darkness, especially for the Israelites because they weren't independent, the religious establishment was a mess in Jerusalem as we see during the life of Jesus. Several hundred years before, this prophecy about people are going to see a great light. When it looks like there's just downfall, there's division, there's disillusionment, when everything looks bad, there's a great light that people are going to be able to see. Here's another scripture. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And there was, a, I had the opportunity uh, last week, uh, the Belgrade Community Coalition hosts the... Uh, uh, the Parade of Lights, or the is that what it's called, where the park is all lit up over there? How many of you participated in that or went and looked at the lights? Yeah, it's, it's amazing over there. It's over by the airport road, uh, just an amazing display that's there. And uh, 
I got a, a request from, um, from the, the coordinator of that organization. If I would come and share, uh, one, uh, share some thoughts from, uh, from Scripture one of the evenings, because they provided an opportunity for people to come and to hang an ornament with their loved one's name on it as a way of honoring them and remembering them, someone who's passed away recently. And as I was, uh, I said, sure, I'd be glad to help any way I can. And so they anticipated just a few people showing up, and there was a lot more than we anticipated showing up. And so it, it turned into, you know, maybe it's an opportunity that God can use in some ways. But I, I used this scripture and say, look around, look at all the darkness we see around. The sun has gone down, it's cold outside, all of us are cold. But you can see those lights that are shining in the darkness, and that's why we're here, because we're we're attracted to something that is light, that is bright, that is beautiful in the darkness that's around us. And when you go hang your loved one's uh, ornament and you think about them and you're missing them during this time, what I would recommend is you consider this verse. When Jesus spoke again, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Because when we give our lives to following Jesus, we know that no matter what's happening right now, no matter how the world around us may seem like in a downfall or division or disillusionment or whatever, figure out any negative term you want to, what we can do is go back and say, wait a minute, I follow someone who is the light of the world. And even though I might not be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel right now, I know it's there because that's the promise that the Creator has made for me. That if I follow Jesus, I can walk in light. And I remember, as a, after I shared that, um, there's, a, there's a lady came over, and people just dispersed, and they went, and they spent their time hanging ornaments or taking pictures with family. And I remember this lady came over, an older lady who came over and grabbed my arm and looked me in the eyes, and she had tears running down all over the place. And said, thank you. I need you to hear about something positive today. Thank you so much. And she went off and on her way. And it just made me realize, made me remember how much darkness and how much hurt there is around us. And for us, if we walk by faith, we understand that we have the light of life. We always understand that because of the birth and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the life of Jesus that we have the opportunity that no matter what happens, no matter what's going on around us, we can say, oh, there's some brightness. I can find it. <laughs> Not only that, but we have a great opportunity to be that light for other people. Uh, I think that's a, a great calling that we've been given. I think about uh, Elijah. As he was out there alone, or he felt like he was alone, felt like, man, there's nobody else around. Man, this is tough. This is, this is a, a rough moment. And God says, no, 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 there's 7,000 other people. You just don't realize they're there. You just be faithful. You go right back the way you came and you get back in the saddle, Elijah. That's my, my goal and my, my hope for you. And, and Elijah does that. And for us, I think about, boy, we've got, a, we've got a dark world around us at times. But it's not the first time. You, know, you look at um, um, all through the scripture and all through history, there's times that are, that are dark. I think there's a, a lot of light in our time period in our world. But when we feel like, boy, maybe I feel like I'm all alone. Maybe I feel like what's going on around me. The reality is, is that we're never alone. As Scripture tells us, 
Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I wonder what Jesus' parents understood as they're, they're holding him as the wise men came and they tried to visit Jesus at this point in time. And so many people that saw, saw the angels singing, the shepherds that came down there, wonder what they, if they, what they realized at that point in time. They realized that this is going to change everything. The birth of Jesus is going to change everything. And I hope that for us is that we never lose heart or become discouraged or become frustrated and decide, oh, man, it's not worth it. Because finishing well means always remembering that no matter how we may feel at any given time, uh, Jesus is providing this great light for us to walk forward courageously and faithfully. And we can be that to our neighbors, the people around us. And I pray as we go into this new year that uh, the message from this morning helps remind us and convict us that no matter how dark things are out there, there's a lot of great brightness that God, is, uh, God wants to do with us. And I hope that all of us take that seriously and make that decision that I'm going to be the light to the world in whatever way I can. Today, tomorrow, for the rest of our lives, when we finish well. Let's stand and sing together. If you'd like to become a Christian, head to the back. The elders are back there waiting to pray with you. Let's sing last.